As the country moves to level two lockdown, all tobacco products can now be sold. That's from midnight to tomorrow night, and that's according to President Cyril Ramaphosa. Liquor can now be sold with restrictions. That's from Monday to Thursday. Family visits are now allowed, and the ban on interprovincial travel has been lifted. Restrictions on family and social visits will also be lifted, although everybody is urged to exercise extreme caution. Uh, restaurants. Bars, taverns now permitted to operate according to approved protocols and uh, alert level two is where South Africa finds itself. There are some restrictions still in place. Uh, that includes no gatherings of more than 50 people uh, allowed, amongst them funerals and religious events. Spectators will not be permitted at sporting events. The curfew remains in place between the hours of 10 and 4. I'm Howard Feldman. And I'm confused. This is your Sunday Synthesis of Podcast with me, Howard Feldman, and uh, COVID expert, Dr. Anton Marburg. Trying to figure out this morning the difference between could and should. Anton Marburg, good morning. How are you? Good morning. So I think it's, it's very confusing what's going on at the moment. And I think it's kind of like a game of Monopoly. I think we should not pass begin. We should not collect 200. <laughs> we should try to stay out of jail. I mean, that's where we're going at this point. So there are currently 21,624,941 cases worldwide with 769,104 deaths and 14.3 million cases resolved. The United States has 5.5 million cases with 172,000 deaths. And South Africa has 583,653 cases with 11,677 deaths. There's more than 80% recovery rate being recorded. And in the last 24 hours, there are 4,513 cases recorded. In hospital in Gauteng, there are 4,125 patients with 567 in ICU and 314 ventilated. As Prof Karim says, the number of tests are going down as the number of swabs done at hospitals is going down. So as admissions and patients coming to casualties decline, so will the number of swabs done. The cases therefore are not coming down because there are fewer tests done. They are coming down because there are fewer patients to test. So the proportion of positive tests is also coming down. Right, so that's very, very good news. Just tell us from your experience what you've seen in the last week at the hospital. The numbers have dramatically come down at the hospital. We still have very sick people in ICU we still have patients that we're giving tocilizumab to. In fact, we've got a patient that we're giving remdesivir to today for the first time that we're trying on. So these people are sick. They are still critically ill patients. But overall, the amount of patients being admitted has come down dramatically. People are less sick with the disease and people are following the rules. So if people continue to follow the rules, hopefully we will manage this pandemic and it will peter out. But if people don't follow the rules, we will get a second wave. The, the number of wards, COVID wards, at the, at the hospital that you're involved with, has that come down? We've decreased our hospital wards by one already, so we're down by one. So the numbers have come down. All right. So that is, that is great. Uh, that is really, really great news. Okay. Let's, let's just talk about uh, the, the announcement last night because it was, to me, it is very confusing. Gyms are open. People are asking, well, can we go to gyms? Should we go? Can we? And, and I think the difference is the, what we should be talking about is could and should. Is So gyms are open. You are able to go, but should you go? I think we, we've got to make sure we don't confuse the economic side with the medical side. Good point. 
you could go, but should you go? I don't think you should go to gym at this point in time, but you could go because the government has said you could. The government has given us a whole lot of restrictions that we have now taken away, but that doesn't mean that we've got carte blanche now and we can go do everything. We've got to be very careful. We want to prevent a virus resurgence and a virus peak happening again. And that's going to happen very soon if we don't follow the rules. So yes, the government have given us a set of rules to follow, but we've got to use our, our brains in this whole situation and look at the bigger picture. There's a much bigger picture than running back to gym and running back to all these social events. We've got to be very careful still. All right, so let's work, let's work through some of them because those are the questions that people want to know. Let's start with Jim, your thoughts. My thoughts is I would stay away from gym still. I wouldn't go there. I don't think it's safe to go to gyms. There's still a, a big environment with a lot of people. The filtration of the air vents inside there is not medically safe for this type of virus. People are sweating, people are touching all the machines. I would even say that swimming is not safe in these type of things. Unless you're a one and a half meters away from somebody, even if you're in a chlorinated pool, the problem is not getting into the pool or getting out the pool. It's as you get out the pool or as you go to the change rooms, you're exposed to other people. So it's not advisable from my side. Yeah, the devil was asking that question. So you'd say, just keep away from... from for, uh, for now, still, yes. At this stage. So that, that, that's uh, as far as that's concerned. Social events, family, we're allowed to visit family. Now, what, is that, what does that actually mean? Who knows? I actually can't answer that question. Without, it, it, it's so okay. confusing at this point in time. Let, let, let's do this. Let's say, okay, we're, we know we're allowed. If I want to invite family over, Give okay, so I, I, think, I think we've got to be very prudent and very clever in the way we do these things now. We've got permission to have family over at our house. So if you're going to do this, remember, elderly people are still vulnerable. There is still a virus out there. The virus doesn't end at 12 o'clock on Monday night. It doesn't yeah. just stop. But it's not leaving it's us tomorrow. Like no, it's, it's, it's still there. And, and I think that's what people are misunderstanding. There's still virus. There's still people that are contagious. There are still people that are able to spread the virus. Yes, we have relaxed the restrictions. But if you do, let's say you want to have a family over for a Friday night supper now. Be very clever about it. Do it cleverly. Have the meal outside. Maintain social distancing. Only have one family over. Make sure that you each have your own cold drink. Make sure that you all each have your own bread rolls. Stay away from each other. Don't have any singing or, or that type of thing at the meal. Keep it as, as, as harmonious as possible and as safe as possible. Use hand sterilizers. Put them on tables as ornaments. You know, make these things sort of acceptable and into the whole environment so it actually works out. But you've just got to be safe. As soon as you have more than one family, it becomes problematic. So in other words, if you do that, just do one family at a time. Don't have a massive family. Don't have a gathering. It's too, it's too not dangerous. A reunions. Is that it's, right? not, it's not a reunion. And it's not a time to just have people over willy-nilly. As I say, you've still got vulnerable people out there. If someone is sick, rather don't let them come. If they've got any symptoms, rather say don't come then. Rather stay at home. Just be careful. You know, everyone's got this whole thing that we now can start celebrating. We haven't hit the celebratory stage yet. Yes, things are better. There's no doubt about it, but we've got to keep things staying better. Okay. And uh, in, in terms of travel? So interprovincial travel is allowed now. And once again, be careful. You know, we, we, can't, you know, we, we can't blur the lines of medical and, and political and economic. If you're allowed to do it, fine. Do it, but be very, very careful. In other words, if you do travel and you go somewhere, make sure you maintain your social distancing. Don't cohabit with other people. 
Don't spread time with other people. Go travel, stay in your own environment, stay in your own chalet. Don't socialize with other people. Just continue the norms, what you should be doing in order to protect everybody and yourselves. Right, and I've never been a smoker, but from tomorrow night, I can start smoking. Is that right? Midnight. That will definitely, definitely add to all your lists of problems that you don't have. Right, thank you. Okay. Um, is there any truth that scientists are working on a nasal spray that could offer protection against COVID-19? So there is actually truth to that. It's a nanobody spray that they're working on. There's a lot of other sprays that they're working on that, that are not scientifically modified, that are saying that they kill 99% of viruses and that type of thing. That's absolute rubbish. There is a spray they're working on called a nanobody spray, which is an antibody spray. That will take a long time to come out and it'll take maybe months to years to come out. Well, in fact, on that question, uh, Ryan asking, is it true that the vaccine that's in trial on trial at WITS will only be ready in October next year? We don't know that. Remember that the vaccines are currently in phase three. So phase three trials mean they've got to test on at least 30,000 people before it can be ramped up and actually put out into the environment, into the community. So what they've done in Russia is they've actually just sidestepped phase three and they've gone into mass production. God help them. All right, so that answers that question. <laughs> you don't believe, uh, well, have you seen any data around the Russian vaccine? Sputnik V, uh, the Russian vaccine, uh, I hope that it doesn't blow up in orbit, that's all I can say. Okay, so there's no, there's no information that you, that, that, that uh, the, the medical... They're, they're sidestepping the actual steps of safety and, and, and that is a big problem. You have to have the safety trials on these things before we know what they're going to do. Right. Okay. The, a, few, a, a lot of questions around donating plasma, antibody, uh, antibody trials. Um, what, is the, uh, what is the story around this? I think With regard to donating plasma, the convalescent plasma is what we're talking about. If you have been infected and you have had a positive test and you have been sick, then two weeks after you are better, you can go to the South African National Blood Service and join their trial where you can be tested for the antibodies and they can take your plasma from you to use in sick patients. Um, and and uh, someone saying, I, I've just received a message from Lancet that the antibody test is available. Is there merit in getting the test or should I wait for a T-cell test? What is a T-cell test? Okay, so I think we've got to go back one step and, and discuss this. Okay. Antibodies show that you've been infected, but this can include a common cold, a common coronavirus, not COVID-19. And this may have cross-reactivity giving you a false positive. So most people develop antibodies one to three weeks after or during they've had the infections. Antibodies offer hope for future protection. But there are two types of memory immune responses. The first type is driven by what we call B cells. And your B cells produce antibodies. The vaccines try to generate these long-lasting antibodies to protect us for life. Sometimes antibodies wane and then you get boosters. The second type of cell is able to remember an infection and that's called the T cell, that's a memory cell. So the T cell may be sufficient to control an infection in the absence of antibodies or together with them. And that organizes an immune defense, a so-called T helper cell or a disease killing cell to restrict new virus production. T cells don't show up in antibodies tests. Now, the important thing to, to note is that if you go for an antibody test, does that help you? Does it show that you've had the virus? Maybe. 
Could you have had cross-reactivity with the virus? Maybe. Does it give you an immune passport? Definitely not. It doesn't mean that you're immune because we don't know how long the immunity lasts and we don't have a specific title of how much antibody one requires to have a long-term immunity. What it does help with is virus surveillance. So in old age homes, in workplaces, in that type of environment, to know how many people have had virus or potentially had virus for surveillance techniques, but it's not the be all and end all or what. So you shouldn't go out there and say, I've had an antibody test, it's positive, I've now got carte blanche, I can go out and do what I want. Big cool. problem, big trouble, be very careful. Okay, and in fact, on that note, later this week, uh, Dr. Marburg and myself will be chatting to a vaccine expert in the United States, and we'll be talking about the latest developments with regard to vaccines and uh, where we are in the world. So uh, I'll give you information about that uh, if you uh, a little bit later. Interprovincial travel uh, now open. Uh, what are your thoughts on staff going home and uh, coming back to resume duties in, in the house? Look, you've got to be very careful, okay? We're at a stage now where we're saying we can only do so much for so long. We can't hold people back. They've got, everyone's been given permission by the country for these things to happen. If you do have staff and they have come by taxi, make sure they are wearing masks the whole time. Provide them with masks yourself. Give them sufficient masks to wear. One to wear in the taxi, one to wear when they come to you. Make sure they sterilize. Make sure they wash their hands. That's the best you can do for now. That's the only way you can look after yourself. If you are extremely vulnerable, if you are immune suppressed, don't spend time with them in the same room. Let them clean another room while you're not in that room. That's the way to try and protect yourself at this point. Um, it, it, a very difficult one. We're, we've been in total isolation, says Minky, due to an immunocompromised family member. We have been really, really careful, not shopping at all. It was recently one of my kids' birthday, and he's desperate to go to the shops to get a present. At what stage would we be able to actually consider doing that? Every night he asks me how many new cases we have uh, with the numbers going down. Is there a magical number um, that would allow us to, to go to the shops? So, so there's a few aspects to that question. I think we've got to look at what was called the R0, which is the reproductive number. And this is a measure of disease potential. In other words, before a pandemic or epidemic, it's the measure of how many people will catch the disease from a single infected person in a population not exposed to the disease. So the World Health Organization has given our R0 as 2.5. That is one person will infect 2.5 people. The actual effective version of the reproductive number is called the RT, and that's what we use at the moment. The virus actually transmission rate and at any given time, that's what's looked at. And at this point, it's less than one, it's 0.7, which is very promising. We still got to remember that there's still active virus out there. So although this RT is down in less than one, it is still a highly transmittable virus. And if you are immune suppressed or with immune suppressed people, rather than don't look for trouble and do, a, do an online sort of purchase if you're very worried and you're staying with immune suppressed people. So just explain the difference between an R0 and an R0. So, so the R0 is the measure of the disease potential, and that's done before uh, the actual, the actual uh, sort of epidemic sort of evolves. The RT is the actual transmission rate, what we're dealing with. Okay, interesting. And that's actually below one. That's below one, which is a very positive sign. And I think that's why people are moving forward in certain things. But once again, I'm going to use this word again, it doesn't give us carte blanche to go wild. Right. Danny wants to know, what are you, where, where are you holding on your thoughts around resuming swimming lessons? Uh, three to four kids in a lesson, teacher has a permit, uh, following regulations and guidelines, 
etc. You know, obviously this is important for parents. Kids need yeah. to learn. Sometimes they need to go to school. They need to learn to swim. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think it's got to be done in a very, very strict fashion. We all know the chlorine is very good, etc. But if you've got a very small pool, then you can't have three or four children in one pool without expecting some spread. The children are going to cough, they're going to sneeze, they're going to have their noses running. If you want to do it safely, have one child at a time. That's the safest way to do it because that way you can maintain social distancing. In other words, you can do it, but you've got to do it effectively. Social distancing, more than one and a half meters apart and, and spread these things out so there's no interaction between parents or waiting for the children afterwards. And maybe a good idea is to rather than group levels, group families. So if there are three or four kids in a family or two kids in a family that need to learn to swim, even if they're at different levels, maybe they can go together because Very they're good. living anyway. So just, uh, just, just an idea that, uh, that might be, that might be um, useful. What about play dates? Look, I think play dates are a no-no at this point in time. I think we've got to be very careful to blur the lines between visiting family and a play date. If you're visiting family and you're having a Friday night supper with them, you're going to be very careful in everything you do. You're still going to wear your mask. You're still going to social distance. Having a play date is problematic because it's not so simple for young children. They don't have that same responsibility as adults have got. And we've got to be very careful not to not blur the lines. We can't fight these things. People are going to do it regardless, but it's a bad idea. Okay, so at this stage, don't, uh, don't do that at all. Monique says, what about going on a safari in an open vehicle with two others and a guide? Mask wearing, social distancing observed, single room and in-room dining, um, but I am 64. Look, the point is, if you're going with two others in the same thing, then you're not going to social distance. You can't do one and a half meters in a safari. It's impossible to do that. You, if you're going to go, go in your own car without other people in your car, especially if you're over the age of 60 and you've got a higher risk regarding these things. Right. Um, okay. So uh, quite, a, quite a lot more messages. Just going to go through some of them. Um, the, doo -doo -doo -doo, I've heard of quite a few people suffering from strokes or clots over the last few months. Are these linked to COVID? So we, we have discussed that there's a definitely a thrombotic element, which is a clotting element related to COVID disease. People do get myocardial infarction, which are heart attacks. They do get pulmonary emboli, which are clots in the lungs, as well as cerebral infarcts, which are clots in the brain. There is a high link to COVID. If you have a negative COVID test, it's unlikely that it's related to COVID, but there are a lot of false negative tests. And you've got to put the whole picture together to see if there are any other symptoms related to that. Are you suggesting a quarantine period if people are returning from Cape Town, for example, or does it really just depend I think on... Things have changed now because of the, the, the new restrictions. So, so from Monday night, it's changing, but I think it depends on whether people have been interacting with other people. So if you've gone, you've gone to your own house, or you've gone to an own sort of chalet where you haven't spent time with other people, then we don't need to do a quarantine. But if you've been with other people and you're interacting with them, you're staying with them, then you should. My mom is 88 years old in an old age home. She needs to go to a clinic to get her pacemaker checked. Her checkup was meant to, to have happened already. Is it safe for her to go? It's not safe. It's completely safe. It's mandatory that she does this. We've spoken about this a few times. Chronic conditions still need to be treated. We don't want to lose the battle on our chronic conditions. And so we've won the COVID battle, but we've lost the reality of life battle. Mm -hmm. What about visiting older parents or visiting the aged homes? Is that age home dependent? 
That's first of all, it's Irish dependent, but it's, it's not a good idea because these are vulnerable, vulnerable people. These are the ones that are still at high risk and we've still got to protect them. You know, you don't want to take that chance. Even though we are going down to level two, we are still wanting to protect our elderly, vulnerable patients. Why do runners, this is from Felicia, why do runners and people going for walks not wear masks? I even saw a doctor this morning running without a mask. Surely runners breathe heavily is the virus and therefore the virus would be spread more easily. So yes, uh, th there's no doubt about this and, and they should be wearing masks or they should be wearing buffs some way because when you're running, you do expel higher volumes of air, you do cough, you do sneeze and, and there's definitely a virus drift from you coming behind you going to other people. So it's just a matter of being selfish. That's all it is. Right. Okay, can we just talk about, uh, somebody wants to remain anonymous, is asking me about these infrared um, thermometers. What is the correct way to use a thermometer? I've seen some people holding them in front of the forehead, some in the, some, uh, in the neck. Um, whilst I know that they're checking that a person's temperature is not above 37 and a half, if the reading shows that a person's temperature to be 34, does this mean that it's not working properly? I mean, I can tell you from my own experience, I go to the studio every day. That's basically the only place that I go. I'm always checked at, at the gate before I go in. And I don't think I've even reached 34. And I'm a cold person. I well, I was going to say, you're a cold-blooded <laughs> mammal. I don't know if you're an invertebrate or what you are, but that's a whole different discussion and we'll keep that for another time. But remember that the thermometer, the infrared from is a screening tool. It's not a definitive thing. So if your temperature's up, it doesn't mean you've got COVID, but we ex expect that you should be screened and looked at and seen if there's any other issues going on. Temperatures can range on these infrared machines from 33.5 up to 37, showing no problems. So if it's low, it doesn't matter. They usually do them on the forehead. They don't get them on the forehead. They do them at the neck. It's a guard. It's not a definitive answer. Why would they not, for example, use those? What are those things for you to, to, to check your oxygen levels? The pulse oximeter. To mm. check, how would that help you with your temperature? It doesn't help with your temperature, but surely if your, if your oxygen levels are low, then, then that's more accurate an assessment than if your so, temperature... So that, that's a fantastic question. And I'll tell you why it's a good question. is because a lot of people have a lower oxygen level. If you're a beast, if you've got sleep apnea, you'll have a lower oxygen level than a normal person and you compensate with that oxygen level and you maintain. So you could have an oxygen level of 88%. That doesn't mean you're sick. That doesn't mean there's wrong, but your body's compensated and used to that oxygen level. And that's why you can't use that as a screening tool. What you can do is say that if you are sick and it's lower than that, then you've got a sort of a comparative of what it normally should be and what it is. Right. Isn't that a good thing for people to know what they what their... Um, normal no, oxygen levels are. No, just, I, I, don't, I don't think it makes it, it's just going to make people more paranoid. Yes, yeah, yeah. So the best I think you're going to go outside and buy one, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go into take a lot in just one moment. Um, these, are you saying really that the most accurate way to, to, to ascertain if somebody's at risk is an inaccurate thermometer? So it's not, it's not the most accurate way. It's part of a screening tool. A thermometer shouldn't be the only thing. Look, if you're going into a big organization, if let's say you're going to a hospital, they don't only use a thermometer as a screening tool. There's a whole list of questions that are added to that. Yes, if you go into a shopping center, it's kind of a, a layman way of just doing it just to try and help and see. But I, I can't imagine that even if your temperature is 38, they're gonna stop you at a shopping center from going in. It's kind of just sort of like a, a facade, okay? But as I said, that can't be the be all and end all of the testing. There's gotta be other parameters to it.
Right. Let's just talk about places of worship for a moment. Uh, a lot of uh, regulations have come out around how that is going to function. Um, are you still concerned about uh, places of worship opening? Still very concerned. I, I think that the guidelines that have been put out are extremely well done. I think they should start at only about 10 people. And from what I've seen, they are very strict. They are very regimented and I love it. I think it's fantastic. It's done very, very well. That was done by Prof Professor Ephraim Prom, and I think it is it's really very good. But I'm not in a rush to go back to, to any place of worship right now because there's still a high virus load, even though that the RT is coming down, which the biggest place of spread was seen at synagogues, churches, and mosques. So we don't want to expose ourselves. And if you're over 60, if you've got comorbidities, stay away from these places now. Yeah, because in fact, we have seen that. We've seen uh, one of the, the biggest dangers has been religious gatherings. Yeah. We've seen it uh, through the, the, the South African Muslim community, Jewish community, churches, etc. So that is, uh, that, that is a, a major, major concern. Uh, the, 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 uh, so play dates are out. Grand, what about grandparents? What about kids visiting grandparents? Well, I think it's the same thing. You know, these people are vulnerable. You've got a vulnerable population of people that we've protected. You know, there's a lot of people that say that the lockdown was a waste of time. The numbers speak for themselves. The lockdown was not a waste of time. Look where we are now. We've only had 11,000 deaths of a projected hundreds of thousands of deaths. That's a big thing. Yes, 11,000 is still a lot. But the actual potential that could have been if we didn't have this lockdown and if we didn't have time to prepare ourselves and get everything in order would have been so dramatic. Everyone's spoken about the high density of people in Alex and all these type of things. And yet our numbers are lower than we expected them to be. And this is, was because of an effective lockdown that was well moderated at the beginning of this pandemic. So be very careful. This is not an open season type of thing just to go and visit everybody now. You've got to choose very carefully. Even so much to say, rather choose one family that you're going to go spend time with if you are going to, just while we're waiting. Because what's going to happen is if we don't observe these within the next four to eight weeks, we're going to get a resurgence and a peak of this virus again. And we cannot afford that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very concerning, uh, very, very concerning indeed. But, but the news is actually very good news. I mean, we, we really are. Uh, so, so if you look back at it, would you say that South Africa's actually done very well? You know, although we're in the top five on the, the world odometer, we've done far better than we thought we would have done. The predictions were obviously much higher and much worse than they, they, they thought they would have been. But I think we've done very, very well for where we're at at the moment. And I'm not talking about financially. That's a whole different discussion. I'm not talking about the economy. I'm talking medically. Medically, we have done so well. We've kept our numbers down. We've kept the, the mortality rate down comparative to other places in the world with our high numbers and with our high densely populated areas. Do you see, even though we're heading towards spring, do you think that we are now going to start to see a, a flu, um, you know, people suffering from flu? So I think we'll see people suffering from flu if people drop their guards, if people stop wearing their masks, if people stop washing their hands. This has stopped and contained the flu virus, influenzas, the adenoviruses, the RSV viruses from, from going out. I've spoken to colleagues in America they're now going into autumn, winter, and they are petrified that they're now going to see a major resurgence of this virus because of the cold weather and people not observing the actual rules of engagement. 
So hopefully we, as we head to summer here in South Africa, we can be outside more. And I think that's, that's a lot of the message here is try as much as possible to be outdoors. With, as with safely as possible with social distancing. Okay. That's very, very important and not putting the vulnerable at risk. All right, and, and I think that uh, the theme of today is the difference between could and should. And if you can just, uh, if, uh, if we all can try and think that through, although we can do something, it doesn't mean that we should be doing something. That's really the message here. And I think that we all have to, there's the, the, the Jewish word is seichel, which is wisdom. Use your use your wisdom you know they say uh, the, what is that uh, famous famous saying is that uh, uh, knowledge is knowing that tomatoes are fruit but wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad and i think that's really <laughs> that's really what this is about so we can do things but it doesn't mean we should be doing things yeah i think i think in order to wrap up and go to our good news segment mm. there's great news we're going down to level two multiple restrictions have been lifted in fact, the best news of the whole thing is that we have now been sponsored by Nike. And look what Nike threw in with it. They've actually added other sponsors onto our sponsorship. So we are very blessed with the new Nike shirt. So thanks to Nike for that. But I've still got to implore people to please be careful. Socially distance. No carte blanche, and especially it's not time for parties and massive social gatherings and play dates. We've got to look after ourselves so that we can prevent further atrocities or troubles or, or anything happening down the line. And as Jonas Salk basically quoted, hope lies in dreams, in imagination, and in the courage of those who dare to make dreams into reality. So let's make this a reality. Let's make this work. We can dream about our December holidays and we can dream about our unicorns. Let's take it forward. I'm Howard Feldman. This is, has been your Sunday Synthesis podcast with Dr. Anton Meyerberg. Thank you as always. Have a great day.